We hope enjoy the rest of the service. church. Hey, who's glad to be here today? Oh, come on. Awesome. Hey, can we give Jesus the best praise this morning? He's why we're here. He's the reason. We're... Come on, give Jesus a praise, everybody. Hey, he's the reason we're here and we're gathered today. And so we want to give honor where honor is due to Jesus, our King, but also just want to take a moment and honor our pastors, Pastor Ben and Annalise, the Murray family who leads this church so well. Come on. Do you love your pastors today, everybody? I love them. So grateful for them. And hey, it's an honor for me to be able to speak today. My name's Caleb. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at this amazing church. And it's just, it's a dream for me to be a part of this. And so I'm so grateful. But I want to welcome you all today. Welcome to everyone who's with us on the other side of the camera. Whether you're watching at our online campus, you're watching it later on this week, or, or maybe you're at our 430 service. Hey, we welcome you today right here at the Cedar Elm campus. We're so grateful to have you as our church family this morning. But hey, today we're in a series. We're in part six, the sixth installment of the series that we've been in called The Beautiful Attitudes. And this series is based on a portion in scripture found in Matthew chapter five called The Beatitudes. Now, if you don't know anything about the Beatitudes, uh, the first thing that I would want you to know is that it is the introduction to one of Jesus' most famous messages called the Sermon on the Mount. So it's just the introductory portion. And in the Beatitudes, what Jesus gives us is nine different attitudes, nine different beautiful attitudes that when these things are found in our lives, that we will be blessed. And so um, each week we've been talking about these attitudes and we've covered a different attitude every week. And it goes a little like this. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5, beginning verse 1, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach to them. And this is where the Beatitudes begins. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about this on, on week one about blessed are the poor in spirit. And then blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those for, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We talked about that last week. And today we're going to talk about this topic. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And so if you'll notice on each one of these attitudes and all nine of them, um, what Jesus tells us is that there's a blessing that comes with this beautiful attitude. Notice each one begins with blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart. And we're going to talk about that today. But the idea of blessing, we see it all throughout the Bible. We see it all throughout scripture. Specifically, we see it a lot in the Old Testament. And what we see is that if you go all the way back to the very beginning, start with Genesis, 
Genesis chapter 1, where God created everything, and we see he creates Adam and he creates Eve. And what the Bible tells us is that God blessed Adam and Eve, and he blessed them so that they could be fruitful and that they could multiply. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see this idea of blessing, that God blessed Noah after the flood and the ark. He blessed Noah and his family that they could multiply the earth. He blesses Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He blesses King David. All throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, we see where God blesses his people. And the blessing of God is a sign of something. It's a sign of the covenant between man and between God, between humankind and between God. And what a covenant is, is it's kind of like, we, it's kind of like a deal. It's like a covenantal relationship that we have with God. Like, like I'm going to hold up my end of the deal, and you're going to hold up your end of the deal, and we're going to have a relationship with each other. And so what we see is that when we come into covenant or when we come into relationship with Jesus, that we come under a blessing, a blessing that comes from God. And just like we come under that blessing, if we walk away, in other words, if we don't hold up our side of the deal, our side of the covenant, everybody, we can also walk out of that blessing in our lives. And so these beautiful attitudes teach us how can we have the blessing of God on our lives. And Jesus is teaching us the same thing right here. He's saying, you want to be blessed? You want to be blessed by God? You want to have that covenant relationship? Blessed are the, say it with me, pure in heart. Come on, let's do that one more time. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so if we want to be blessed, he's teaching us today that we need to have a pure heart. Now, I want you to notice that this verse here, it's not past tense, but it's a present tense verse. And so it doesn't say blessed are those who used to be pure in heart. It doesn't say blessed are those who want to be pure in heart. It doesn't even say blessed are those who are, they're kind of trying to be pure in heart. No, it says blessed are the pure in heart. So the question is like, how do we have a pure heart? How do we live lives that have a pure heart? And before we can really answer that question, we have to understand that the moment we give our lives to Christ, the moment we, begin, we come into covenant, we come into relationship with Jesus, God gives us a pure heart. He washes away our sins. The Bible says he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west, and we are made clean. We are made new. The the, uh, the, there's a phrase that we use that says, we've been born again. And it's important that we be born again because the Bible teaches us that we're all born into sin. And that's why I have to be born again, is, is so that I can be born of the, the blood of Jesus. I can be born of his righteousness. I can be p- born of his purity, and I can be like him. But when we give our lives to Christ, the moment we submit our lives to Christ and we say, Jesus is my Lord, he's my savior, he doesn't just patch up your life. He doesn't just fix a few little areas. Like you've seen the, the TV show Fixer Upper. He doesn't do that. It's not a fixer upper. You're not a fixer upper project. He gives you a brand new life. He gives you a brand new heart. And you may say, well, how does that happen? Well, we see that in scripture. He says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit inside of you. I will remove from you the heart of stone, that calloused heart that's not like me. I'm going to take that away, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, 
one that's tender, one that can be touched, one that can be moved by the Spirit. And I'm going to put my Spirit inside of you, and I'm going to move you to follow my ways. And you will follow my decrees. You will follow my laws. And a lot of times when we're thinking about how do I have a pure heart, a lot of people think we think legalism. Or we think a performance mindset, like I have to be good enough and I have to do good enough and I have to read my Bible every single day and I can't miss a prayer. And hey, those things are good, everybody. But let me just tell you that you could never earn a pure heart. You could never do enough to be righteous. The Bible tells us that even on our best day, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And that's why he tells us that I'm going to put my spirit inside of you because he knows that we could never do it alone. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to have a pure heart. And he says, and I'm going to move you because let's be honest. A lot of times we don't want to stop sinning. Can I say that today? Like, It can be hard to stop sinning. Like even the Bible tells us, hey, sin is fun. It's fun for a season, but that's why he's going to put his spirit inside of you and he's going to move you because he's going to move you and give you the desire to turn away from that way of living and to begin to walk towards him and to stop going your own way and to begin going God's way. He knows that we could never do it on our own. And so please hear me today. We're not pure because of what we do. We're pure because of who we belong to. I'm made righteous. I'm made clean. I'm made new only by the blood of Jesus. Jesus washes away my sins and he does it so that we can be blameless and innocent. And when you look in the Bible, what we see is that when Adam and Eve were first created, before they sinned, before sin ever entered the world, they were blameless and innocent, kind of like a little child that they just don't, they don't know better. They're blameless and they're innocent. And what God says is that when he saves us, he restores us back to that state. He restores us back to a place of blamelessness, a place of innocence. We become his children, the children of God without blemish without spot or blemish. But notice we're in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation because we live in a dark world, everybody. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but we live in a crooked and a twisted world, but he makes us righteous. He makes us pure, not just so we can feel good about ourselves, not just so that we can be, hey, I'm holier than thou. It's not about that. It's so that we can shine like lights in the world so that our lives can be a spotlight. It can be a beacon to those who are far from God, from those who they're blinded in darkness. The Bible says that they're blinded by the enemy and they can't see the light of Jesus Christ. And so he makes us pure and he makes us holy so that people can see Jesus. But when we're forgiven, a lot of times, I think as Christians, we can think that when I'm forgiven, like I still got some work to do. And hey, let's be honest, like God's always working on us, right? And he's going to be working on me until the day I die. But the moment that I'm saved, I'm saved as I'm ever going to be. I'm saved 100%. Like, there is no middle ground. There's no such thing as I'm 50% saved, but I got to read the rest of the Bible, and then I'll get there, everybody. Like, no, it's not like that. Like, I'm saved as I'm ever going to be, 100%. But the problem is, is that I know what I've done, right? right? I know the mistakes that I've made. I know things about me that none of y'all know about me, and I don't know if God can fix that, okay? But the thing that we have to understand is it's not about my righteousness, 
It's not about my purity. It's about God's righteousness. It's about his purity and that he washes me and that he makes me new. Yeah, give God praise for that. So please get this today is that if you've given your life to Christ, you're starting from a place of purity. If you have begun relationship with Jesus, you are starting from a place of purity. But Paul tells Timothy that we have to be careful to keep ourselves pure. And so if I'm starting from this place, maybe there's some things that I need to do. Like I can't make myself pure. I can't save myself. I can't make myself clean or righteous. But there's some things along the way that God's going to want to work inside of me so that I can sustain a pure heart. In other ways, like God sees where I am and he loves me where I am, but he loves me too much to leave me there. And so there's some things that he's going to want to work inside of me and some places that he's going to want to take me so that I can, I, can, I can keep myself pure. Because if we keep ourselves pure, then we will be a special utensil for honorable use. We'll be vessels of honor to be used by God. Our lives will be clean and we will be ready for the master to use us for every good work. Now, when I see this about special utensils, I'm reminded of my childhood because when I was growing up, my mom had this china cabinet and it had some very special utensils, some very special china and plates. But specifically, I remember my parents had these glasses inside on display inside that china cabinet and it was the Mr. and Mrs. Goblets from their wedding. Now, I want to tell you, we did not break those cups out for the backyard barbecue, everybody. They stayed clean and they stayed in that china cabinet. In fact, I don't know if in my entire childhood I ever saw anybody use those glasses. If they were used, my parents maybe broke them out for a special anniversary candlelight dinner after the kids had gone to bed, you know. But that would have been probably the only time they were ever used because they wanted to keep them clean. They wanted to keep them pure. They didn't want them getting broken because they were only to be used on special occasions, everybody. And in the same way, we have to keep ourselves pure. We have to keep ourselves clean so that we can be ready to be used by God, that we can be vessels of honor. Now, we don't keep ourselves clean and we don't make our, ourselves pure so that, so that we can say like, I'm better than you, or it doesn't make me better than anyone else, but I'm living a little bit differently because God wants to use me. God wants to do some things in my life, and he wants to use me to make a difference for his kingdom, and so I have to keep myself pure, and we live in a world that is full of temptation around every corner. I mean, there's temptation when you're scrolling on TikTok, temptation on Instagram. It's when you turn on the TV. It's at work. It's at school. It's everywhere you go. There's temptation. And so we have to be careful to keep ourselves pure. We have to be careful to sustain a pure heart so that we can be used as honorable, special utensils for God. Now, we're starting from that place of purity, but what we have to understand is that the moment that we mix something that's not of God, something that's unholy, something that's sinful, something that is against the nature and the character of God into what God has made pure, what happens is what was once clean and pure becomes dirty and impure. Right. 
And so I have to be careful to guard myself to not allow those things into my heart. And so for the rest of the message today, I just want to give us three ways that we can sustain a pure heart in our lives. And I want you to hear me that this is not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of guilt or shame. It's a message of hope because I may be in a place of impurity today and maybe you're here today and you feel like there's no way that God could ever fix me. There's no way that God could ever make me clean. But I want you to know that there is hope for you, that by the blood of Jesus, you can be made pure. You can be made holy. Regardless of what's happened in your past, God has hope for you today. And so we have some notes provided for you in your worship guide today. If you want to follow along with me and fill in the blanks as you go, you're welcome to do that. But the first way that we're going to sustain a pure heart is we have to be quick to believe. And what this means is that I have to believe in God and I have to have faith in God. I have to be very careful that I do not begin to doubt God and that I don't allow doubt into my life about who God is or what God's promises is for my life because God's word is full of promises and his word is full of blessings that, that he has in store for you. And the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing in hearing the word of God. And so I have to be careful to not begin to doubt God's word. And let me be really honest that even as someone who, who serves at a church that's in the ministry, I have to be very careful to guard myself against doubt. Because I don't know about you, but there's times in my life, even after becoming a Christian, after becoming a believer, that I've had thoughts like, you know, I believe God could, but I don't know, I don't know if he would. What is that? That's a seed of doubt in my life. And so just to be really transparent and really vulnerable with you, this is, some, this is an area of my life that I have to pay attention to, that I have to be careful that I don't allow doubt to begin to seep into my heart. Because what the Bible tells us is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so I have to be very careful. If, if I'm finding that I'm doubting God and that I'm doubting God's promises, I find myself on dangerous ground. Right. And what I'm doing is I'm beginning to take on a mindset that is of the world and that is not of God. I'm taking on a mindset that is anti-God and what God has made pure, I'm allowing to become impure. Because I'm taking on the, the, the wrong thought processes, the wrong perspectives, and the wrong belief. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, we're living in a world today that is so cynical, so skeptical, and, and, and so analytical, like I was talking to a family member of mine not long ago about this, about this, and she was talking about, she said, my generation, like when we were growing up, like we just, we didn't just question authority. Like we didn't question things so much. And she said, but in this day and age, people question everything. Yeah. She was like, like we went to church and they said, this is what the Bible says. And we just believed it. Right. But like nowadays, people don't believe the preacher anymore. People don't, don't, they don't believe you until you, you like try to prove it or something. And like, I think in some ways it can be good that we've become smarter and we've become more analytical um, and skeptical because like there may be some people that you don't just need to believe. And what I'm not telling you is I'm not saying to go into things blindly. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that we can't be skeptical and cynical and analytical about God's word. Amen. 
We can't be skeptical and analytical about who Jesus says that he is and what his promises are for our life because his promises for our life are yes and amen. And if God's word says it, I got to believe it. I better believe it. And, you know, sometimes there's going to be some things in the Bible that I'm going to read it and I'm going to say, you know what? I I don't know that I agree with that. I don't know that I believe that. I don't know that that's even possible. You know what? You better believe it anyways because it's God's word because I can't question God's word. And it's like sometimes people think that the most skeptical person is the smartest person in the room or something nowadays. But like we can't be skeptical about God's word. We have to have faith and we have to believe that God is who he says that he is. And what we see is when we look into scripture, like we see that the religious people of the day did this to Jesus. And like there's churches today that exist that will tell you that God's not still doing miracles, that he's done healing people, that he, he's not doing the things that he says that he could do in his word. And I believe they're good people and well-meaning, but the truth is they've just allowed doubt into their heart about God's promises. They've allowed unbelief about what God is able and capable to do in their lives. But the religious, I want you to notice this is the church because the, the religious did this in Jesus' day as well. In Matthew chapter 15, we see where Jesus does an amazing miracle. There's 4,000 people gathered, and Jesus takes a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and he multiplies it to feed the the 4,000, to feed thousands of people. Like this was a a miraculous, supernatural thing that could not be explained. It was a miracle that Jesus did. In the very next chapter, chapter 16, verse 1, What we see is that the religious people of the day, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they heard about this miracle going on, and so they come to find out what's happening. And when they got there, they said, hey, Jesus, we heard that you just did this. We didn't didn't see it, but we heard about it, and so we came. And if you really are the Christ, if you really are who you say you are, if you really are the Messiah, why don't you do another one? Like, why don't you show us another miracle? Bring another miracle from heaven and prove to us that you are who you say you are. And Jesus responded to them and he said, hey, a wicked and an adulterous generation looks for a sign. But hey, none will be given except for the sign of Jonah. That's a whole nother thing we could go into that we don't have time for today. But what he's saying here is he's saying it's wicked and it's adulterous and it's perverse for you to seek a sign because if you had faith, you wouldn't need a sign. If you believe that I was who I said I was, you wouldn't need me to prove myself. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God sent by the Father, and you need to believe that. And I don't have to prove it to you. What they had done was they had allowed doubt about who Jesus said that he was, and so they were trying to prove themselves. And what they had done was they had allowed their hearts to become unbelieving, and they had allowed their hearts to become evil. Because what I think is that We don't a lot of times look at this issue of doubt as if, like, this is a really big deal. Like, oh, it's just a little doubt, right? Like, it's not like, you know, a porn addiction or something like that. But what the Bible actually tells us is take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Like, doubt, the Bible refers to it as evil. If I have an unbelieving heart, that That is evil, and I have to be careful to guard myself against unbelief. All right, the second one is that I have to be quick to serve. If I want to sustain a pure heart, I have to serve 
others. I have to walk in humility because when I serve others, I'm humbling myself. That it's not all about me, but I'm giving myself to serve others. And when I serve others, what it does is it roots out pride, it roots out selfishness, any of those things that have set up in my heart. When I humble myself and when I serve people, it roots those things out. And I think that in this room, and and even for those of you who are watching with us at one of our campuses right now, I think we can all agree right now that, that Jesus was the most pure, the most holy, righteous person to ever walk the face of the earth. Like the Bible refers to him as the spotless, spotless, without blemish, perfect, sinless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who he was. And when we look at Jesus and who he was, what we see about Jesus is that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like he served us by giving his life on the cross. And all throughout the the, the gospels, when you read about Jesus, you see over and over again where he breaks down cultural barriers, cultural mindsets, worldly perspectives about what people think about people to prove that every person matters and that he could serve those people. And this, this beatitude, this beautiful attitude that we're studying today says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And so if we want to be pure, if we want to see God, notice it says the pure in heart will see him. They'll be able to see God. And so if you want to see God, maybe you're here today and you're searching and you're looking and maybe you don't even realize that God is the one you're searching for, but maybe you're searching today and you wanna see him. If you wanna see God, this is where you're gonna find him. You're gonna see God in the places that nobody else wants to go. You're gonna see God in that part of town that nobody else wants to be caught in on the other side of the tracks. You're gonna see God getting low and getting humble. And and, and we read this about Jesus that he ate with sinners and tax collectors. He sat around the table with them. He had harlots who washed his feet. And time and time again, we see where Jesus served the least of these. And this is what the Bible says about our God in Psalm chapter 68. It says that he's a father to the fatherless, that he's a defender of widows. This is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And as I'm thinking and, and looking through these groups of people that it says that God is there for the fatherless, the widows, the lonely, the prisoners, a lot of these groups, like, like Lord, forgive us, because I, I grew up in church. And can I just be honest? I haven't experienced it here at City Hope. But sometimes Christians can be some of the meanest, most judgmental people there are. And God forgive us for looking down our nose at the groups of people that Jesus came and died for. Amen. God forgive us for saying, I ain't going to be caught on that part of town. God forgive us for saying, what are they doing in church? God forgive us because that's who Jesus came for. That's who Jesus came to serve. And he didn't call us to be judges. He called us to be servants. Jesus didn't judge the world. And so why should I? Why should I? And so the thing that is so important is that God is so holy, yet he's so humble. Like he's so powerful and he's so strong, and, but he's low. And, and he's, he's like down on our level with us, God with us. He's so holy, but he's so humble. And James tells us that 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And guess what? It's not that old-time religion where we're judging people and we're looking down at people and how, how dare you sin, how dare you do that. God don't accept that. That's not religion that God accepts. What he accepts as pure is that we look after orphans and widows in their distress and that we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Not that I'm pointing out the speck in your eye when I've got a log in my own, but that I'm, I'm serving, I'm getting low, and I'm serving the least of these, and I'm keeping myself from being polluted. I'm keeping a pure heart. And that's why right now as a church, we're gearing up for National Serve Day. And who we are as a church is, is founded on the fact that when Pastor Ben and Annalise first planted this church, that they were serving the community before they ever had their first service. And serving others is the heartbeat of who we are as a church. And we serve every first Saturday of the month. And we go to Sputter Park and MLK and we're giving out burgers and we're mowing lawns for widows and, and we're writing letters to prisoners and we're doing all kinds of things to serve our community. That's just who we are as a church. But National Serve Day is taking place on July 15th. And in fact, there's a QR code on the bottom of your notes today where you can get more information about how you can be a part of that. But at National Serve Day, what we're going to do is we're just going to go all out. We're going to pull out all the stops and we're going to serve our city. We're going to be the love of Jesus to our city that day. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And those red shirts are going to be all over town. We got right at 40 projects already where we're going to be making a difference in our city. And people are going to see the love of Jesus that day. And if you want to see God, you need to be there that day because I guarantee you he's going to be there and he's going to be at work. And I'll never forget the, the story that our team tells about the time that it was a first Saturday and we were grilling burgers at Sputter Park like we always do. And as they were grilling, what if you've ever been to the project, what we do is we have a team grilling and then we have an assembly line. We put it all together and then cars are coming through almost like a, a drive through, like there'll be a line of cars. And what we do is, hey, how many bags do you want? We give them as many as they need. And then the next step is we pray with them. And we pray for them. And there was a lady who came up that day to get some food, to get a, some burger meals. And as she came through the line, they asked her, hey, how can we be praying for you? And she said, well, the truth is she had several little girls with her, six or seven-year-old girls. And she said, last night was my daughter's birthday party, and she wanted to have a slumber party. She wanted to have a birthday party. And so we had invited some of her friends to come over and spend the night. And so they spent the night and they woke up as kids do hungry this morning. She said, the thing is, is that I'm a single mom and we've really been struggling financially lately. And she said, all I had left was $20 to my name and all these girls are hungry. And she said, so we just left the house this morning and we were just out and about. And honestly, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do to feed these girls and not spend everything that I have. I didn't know what I was going to do. And she said, and I... I just sent up a prayer like, Lord, I need your help. She said, about that time, I saw y'all's red shirts from a distance. And then she kept driving and she said, then I saw a sign that said, lunch is on us. And so I came in today because I needed to feed these girls. And all I had was $20 left to my name. And y'all were the answer to my prayer today. 
Can I say that's why we do what we do? That's why we humble ourselves. That's why we serve. That's why Jesus served. And that's why we do too. And that's why we're not going to stop serving. Is that Jesus came for those people. And that's who we exist for. That's what the church is all about. The local church is supposed to be the hope of the world, everybody. A light shining in the darkness. A lighthouse. A beacon that people can see the light of Jesus Christ. So if I want to have a pure heart, I have to be quick to serve. And lastly, I have to be quick to repent. And this term, repent, is not about, it's not a religious, judgmental phrase at all. Actually, in the the New Testament, this word repent is a military term that means to do an about face. It means I'm going this way, but when I repent, I'm going to turn and I'm going to go this way. Like I was walking my own way away from God, but now I'm going to turn, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to walk his way toward God. That's what, that's all repentance is. It's not this judgmental thing that, that many people might think that it is. It's just turning and going the other way. But the point here is that we have to be quick to repent if we want to have a pure heart. Because chances are, if you're a Christian today, can I just say about myself, Chances are, before I make it to heaven, there's probably going to be a time where I'm going to sin again, everybody. And thank goodness for the grace of God, for the blood of Jesus, that I can come boldly before the throne of God and find grace and find help in my time of need. I'm so grateful for that. But this is not just for people who are far from God. It's for us as Christians. That when we fall short, I can come back to God. That's why the Bible tells us that that if anybody does sin, like what he says before is like, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. I don't want you to sin. But I think God, the one who created us, knows us. And he knows that there's probably going to be some times where I'm going to fall short. And so he made a plan B. Like he said, I don't want you to do it. But if you do, If anybody does sin, if you do mess up, if you do miss the mark, we have an advocate, everybody. And it's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And the word tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's our advocate. He's advocating for us. And so when I fall short, when I sin, he said, hey, God, I I know you saw what Caleb just did, but he's mine. He's already been bought with the blood of Christ. And so it's not about his righteousness. Mine's already covering. He's advocating. He's advocating on my behalf. He's mine. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of our sins and he will purify us he'll give us a pure heart and he'll wash away all the unrighteousness all i have to do is repent and he will give me a pure heart and when we look in the bible david was described as a man after god's own heart the writer of a big portion of the book of psalms king david a man after God's own heart. But can I tell you that even David got it wrong sometimes? There was this one time he really got it wrong. I mean, he really messed up. He saw this girl and he thought she was beautiful and he had an affair with her. It didn't stop there. He, he fell in love with her and wanted to take her as his wife. And so he had her husband killed so that he could have her for himself. 
Like he really, really messed up everybody. Like that was a big one. That was a big one. Like, I mean, you got lust, you got adultery, you got murder. I mean, it's all of them, like all the big ones, right? But that's the thing is that no one is too far gone. And in Psalm chapter 51, that chapter is known as David's repentant prayer, where he's repenting for this sin. And there's a line in it that I love to pray for myself, where he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And you may say, but how, how could God ever forgive David for something like that? I mean, he really got it wrong. Because no one is out of the reach of God's love. God's word tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, not depth, not angels, nor demons, nor powers or principalities. Not the past, not the present or the future. Nothing can separate me. And you might say, but Caleb, you just don't know me. You don't know about the skeletons in my closet. You don't know about the things that I've done. Can I tell you that God does? And he, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He sees your sin. He sees your flaws. He sees your mistakes. And he loves you anyways. And he's wanting you to know today that it's not about your purity. It's not about your righteousness. It's about the righteousness of God. Because the Bible tells us that I was not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Your money, your, your good works, the things of this earth, they can never redeem you from the empty way of life that you're living in. But only by the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect can set us free from our sins. And it reminds me of that old hymnal, that old song that says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, everybody. God's love is here for you today. And as I get ready to close, I wanna close with this quick story. I heard this story in preparation for this message this week. And there's a story about a pastor who is getting ready to do a wedding ceremony. And in the place that they lived in, in this specific specific place, their culture was that they took it very seriously about the bride wearing the color white. What I mean by that is if she was pure, meaning she had kept herself pure, she kept her virginity, she could wear the color white. If not, they're pretty serious that you can't wear that color because you're not worthy to wear that color. And so you know that weddings are, uh, they take a lot of work and it's a big day. And so they get to the big day and they're finally there and they're getting ready to start the ceremony. And the bride comes to the pastor and she says, pastor, I can't do it. I can't move forward with this wedding. And he's like, well, we, we're ready. Like, everything's here. We're ready to go. Are you sure it's not cold feet? Like, hey, we can make this thing happen. And she's like, no, I can't do it. It's not cold feet. It's not that, but I can't do it. And he says, well, tell me what's going on. And she says, well, to be honest, my dress is a white color. But to be really honest, on the inside, I've made a mistake in my past. And I haven't kept myself pure. Lost my virginity before I got married. And I can't wear this, this color today, Pastor. He said, well, we've worked so hard. Let me just have a minute. Let me, he said, give me five minutes. Let me go pray. So he goes and he prays and he came back to her and he said, hey, let me ask you a question. She said, okay. He said, have you repented for that sin? Have you repented for that mistake? She said, yeah, yeah, I've already repented for that, but does it change the, the fact that it happened? But yes, I've repented. And he said, well, as I was praying, the Lord told me that if on the inside, If you're pure enough in heart that you can be sitting at the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, then you're pure enough to walk down this aisle today to a mere mortal man in the color white. 
because we've been set free from our sin. God's forgiven us. God's washed it away as far as the east is from the west, everybody. He's washed it away. He's made us new only by the blood of Jesus. And so if I want to sustain a pure heart, I have to be quick to believe. I have to be quick to serve. And I have to be quick to repent. Amen, everybody. Hey, if you would bow your heads with me, close your eyes this morning. I'm going to pray for you. God, I lift up each and every person that's in this room. And for those of us who are at the 430 campus and online with us right now, God, I lift up every person and I pray that you would speak to their heart. Lord, let them know what their next step is. What is it that you have for them to do with this message today? What do you want to change? What do you want to stir inside of them this morning? God, we are only pure by the blood of Jesus and the righteousness that comes from God. And if you're here this morning with your heads bowed, maybe you're in the room and you would say, hey, Caleb, I've been going my own way. I've been walking down my own path and I've not been walking down God's path. I've been trying to figure it out my own way. But today I wanna repent. I wanna repent and I wanna turn back towards God's way and I wanna walk towards Him. I wanna live His way. I'm tired of life being the way that it is. I'm searching and I'm looking for something bigger than myself because what I'm doing is not working. And I need, a, I need a different way today. Can I tell you that there's nothing that you've done that's too big for the grace of God. You're not too far gone. And the Father is waiting for you today with open arms, waiting to welcome you in, waiting to clothe you with his purity, with his righteousness, and with his love, just like the prodigal son who came back to the Father. And if that's you today, on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. I won't embarrass you or ask you to come up front. I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer. And so if you wanna repent and give your life to Jesus, one, two, three, lift your hand. Thank you, I see you, I see you, I see you and you. I see you, God bless you, proud of you. Anyone else today, I see you, God bless you. Thank you, hey, hey, God sees you and God's acknowledging you. Each and every one of you, God sees your hand and he sees your heart and he's gonna do a work in your life and you're never gonna be the same. So let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I confess that I need you. I've been going my own way and walking away from you. Today I repent. I turn to follow your way and to come towards you. I wanna pursue you all the days of my life. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. You died on the cross to set me free. You gave your life for me. Today I give you my life in return. Thank you for blessing me and making me pure. I'm gonna follow you the rest of my life the best that I can. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Put your hands together.